Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning. It is so cool to be here. It really is. I uh, have been stressing about this moment for weeks. It's like a whole bunch of UK pastors and leaders. I thought, oh, dear Lord, uh, I need all the grace. Uh, because, you know, the reality is, is I still feel like we're just starting our journey. And uh, I was reflecting on it a little bit early. And, you know, I got saved when I was four years old. I'm not going to give you my whole salvation story, but um, I got saved at four in an AOG church. And uh, my dad was a, an elder in the church, and I grew up in the church, and, and I've seen so many different things happen over the years. And, uh, and then finally went into ministry when I was 17. Went into ministry because we started school early, finished early, and, uh, and sort of started uh, helping out, and, uh, and then went into full-time ministry uh, at the age of 22. Got given a church at 25, and when I arrived, it was uh, an aged congregation. Uh, the average age was well above 55. Um, but more than that, we've got a lot of older folk in our church now. Uh, more than that, they were a staid congregation. And, uh, and so it was a massive challenge. My wife was 23, I was 25. Uh, when I was asked by our national leader whether I thought I could do this, I thought, of course, because, you know, when you're in your 20s, you believe you can do anything. And uh, I was like, of course, you know, um, I've been in church for years. I know exactly what to do. And, uh, and there began a five-year fight uh, that molded and shaped us. And, you know, when church is doing well, it's, 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 it's the closest thing we'll get to heaven. Uh, but when church is not doing well, it's the closest thing we'll get to hell. And, uh, so, uh, I certainly experienced that on our journey and I just, you know, going to try and sort of throw out things just to give you a little bit of context. So I've been pastoring in life church now for, for 15 years. Uh, it wasn't always called Life Church. Uh, the name was Somerset West Assembly of God. We gave it a name because uh, the church had had 18 ministers in 25 years and did not have a great history. No one had stayed beyond two years. It was a scenario where literally guys were just kept on moving out. And, uh, and, and we're suffering for Jesus in Somerset West. We've got mountains, sea, the vineyards, uh, amazing views, uh, amazing weather. So, you know, it was, it was really tough saying yes to the call. Um, it was a hard sell. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we feel, you know, absolutely blessed. Um, we, we love home and, and love where God has planted us. Uh, but those first years in church life were very, very difficult. The congregation was, was well under a hundred and, uh, uh, and it was tough. And, and those days we, there was a lot of fights, you know, and every month a new family would, another family would leave and we had to plant a church within a church. Uh, you know, we started a life group and then that life group, and then we did a second life group and, and so on and so forth. And then we went to a second service in the morning and an evening service. And, uh, and then once all of that grew and we split out the building as much as we could, then we, uh, Landed up planting a campus uh, down the road, 15 minutes down the road, um, and uh, that's been running now for two years, and at, at about 130 folk there now. And um, and then we just a couple of weeks ago started in a rural area in the Northern Cape, uh, north of our country, uh, very dry, sort of Kalahari kind of area. Uh, we've started a, a church, and we've got about 25, 30 people, and so it's just starting off, and uh, in about two months' time, we'll be renovating a building there, and I'm very excited for that. But... It's been amazing how God has added and how God has kept doing things and moving. Um, I was thinking about it. I, uh, I'm not a tidal wave. I'm more like the rising tide. Um, I'm a bit of a plodder in ministry. I, I, I've, I've never sort of, we, we never had years where we suddenly broke through and suddenly an extra hundred people came or, um, we've just consistently served God over 15 years in our local church and God has blessed that. And, uh, and years ago, we started out um, getting involved in the community. Uh, now we, we, we own and run a night shelter that houses 60 people every night. Uh, we feed them. We have a mission school that runs up to just before school starts, um, uh, just before grade one, up to grade R, which is our uh, sort of preschool um, sort of teaching. We have about 50 kids um, in our mission schools. Uh, we own those buildings. They're, they're 
busy being processed to us. Um, we own the night shelter. Um, we have a warehouse. We have uh, our main campus. Um, and, uh, and we have about 32 staff now for which I'm responsible for. Um, and it continues to grow and it continues to expand. Um, and God keeps on giving us new opportunities. And stupidly, I keep saying yes. Uh, I was telling to Patty on the way over here that sometimes uh, God and I have a fight and I always lose. Um, so uh, there's a massive challenge, you know, just in serving God that, uh, you know, you start out. I never, I mean, all the initial vision that I had for the church is has long since been exceeded. I mean, I thought if I could get the church to 200 and, you know, and we had like two services running and we'd be, that would be fantastic, you know. And, um, and just to see what God has done. And, and he continues to challenge us because there's always more people that need to be reached. And so I stand here today, certainly not as any kind of expert, but certainly as one who's been on the journey. And I've been on the journey with the Lord for a long time, and I've been on this leadership journey for a long time. And uh, managing five buildings and 32 staff, and, and, and we run five services a Sunday, uh, of which I generally preach in at least three um, sometimes four on an insane Sunday, five. Um, but it's very, very much a scenario where I always feel like I'm not good enough and I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing. So I don't know if you're that kind of leader, uh, but if you are, thank you. Uh, <laughs> because I always feel overwhelmed. This is a tough gig. This is a tough job. Leadership in the church is not easy and, uh, and is very stressful. And, and it's the reason why so many people come and go. But if we can stay focused on God, if we can stay plugged into what God has for us, God will always grow us. And we'll start out not being able to do certain things. When we ran the night shelter, for example, we knew nothing about, uh, you guys call it health and safety here. Um, but we knew, I mean, we got audited by our social development um, department, our government, six times. Um, it was, it was insane. We didn't know a lot, but, but you know, on this journey, we just said yes. And then we said yes. And then God raised and God added. And it's been amazing just to watch how God has, has helped us actually figure some stuff out along the way. You do. Yes. For those of you who are younger, you do figure some stuff out along the way. Isn't that just awesome? So, uh, you do learn. I said to Patty last year when we were in Greece, I said, you know, you do learn some stuff. You still feel sort of like massively inadequate, but, but you do learn some things along the way. And so this morning I thought I would start out, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to pick a passage out of the Bible that I felt best described my ministry journey. Um, and, uh, and hopefully we can, we can learn some lessons out of that. But before, before I read out of my key text, the first verse that I wanted to look at is Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 12. And it says this, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Uh, I don't know if that sounds like your journey, but that's, that's my journey. Rejoice in our confident hope. I am a believer that God has an amazing future for us all. That the kingdom of God continues to advance. That God continues to do great things on the planet. And so I am confident in hope, but I am patient in trouble. Because trouble comes. Obstacles come our way, and because they come our way, we have to keep on praying. We have to stay on our knees and stay plugged into God. And, and so for me, that's, that's really the journey. J. Robert Clinton said, a Christian leader is a person with God-given capacity, God-given responsibility to influence a specific group of God's people toward God's purposes for that group. And, uh, and I can honestly say that I am a local pastor uh, that has focused on my God-given responsibility with the people that God entrusted me to. And I've given my time, attention, and effort to that and that alone. And, uh, and God has honored and blessed that. So Exodus chapter 14, this is the passage that best describes my journey. Reading from verse 1, we're going to read the first 13 verses and then verse 21, 22, and 31. Everyone all right? Okay, you're going to have to do a little bit better than that in South Africa. We get a bit more response. I know you're a little bit more staid here in the UK. That's okay. But you are Pentecostals. Are you not? Uh, Wow. Okay. Dear Lord Jesus. Um, No. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. You ready? You ready? Yes. Okay. Okay, cool, cool. 
Okay, just checking. All right. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp. I'm not going to try and pronounce those names. They camped along the shore across from Baal Siphon. And then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites camped there as they were told. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church did what they were told to do? Verse 5. When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? Letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. And so Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called upon his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. I'll come back to that. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped besides the shore. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why didn't you, why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then on to verse 21, it says, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. And so the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Skipping on to verse 31. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Just that far. When I read the Bible, I like to see pictures. I like to see the story. I like to see what's going on. And, and what amazes me about this story is that basically God told Moses to be a lame duck. God told Moses to put himself in a position where he and his entire uh, group, his entire church uh, were going to be attacked. We're going to be uh, in a position of vulnerability because God wanted to do something amazing. God wanted to set them free once and for all. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you got into the ministry, but the first thing that is required in order to be in the ministry is we have to have a sense of purpose. We have to have a God told me moment. We have to have a moment where we understand that God has led us into the wilderness. It was by God's word that Moses took the Israelites to a place where they were trapped, a place where the enemy could get at them, a place where they would be vulnerable, a place where the enemy could possibly take them out, a place of fear, a place of struggle, a place that would be difficult to navigate. I constantly feel like in the church that God tells us to go to places and to step out into areas of ministry that is always putting us in a place of vulnerability, in a place where we can be attacked, in a place where we can be hurt, in a place that is stressful, but it's because God is wanting to deliver us. God is wanting to do something miraculous. God is wanting to do something wonderful in our midst. The problem is, is that we don't like being backed up against the Red Sea with the enemy against us. We don't like being in a corner. We don't like being in a situation that looks like there's no possible way out. 
And for me, I found that over the years, leading a church, that's exactly where I felt God has put me time and time again. And, and the first thing I love about this particular passage is that, is that Moses receives a word from God. And if we're going to lead the church today, if we're going to lead it well, we have to have a sense of purpose. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When you are a leader, your primary purpose is to understand God's will. To understand where you're supposed to be. To understand what that next step is. That's why we're leaders. That's why God has called us. Because we're supposed to have the vision. We're supposed to have a plan. And in order to have a vision and have a plan and have a purpose, you must have heard from the Lord. That is the starting place. And when we read the story, we see right at the outside, right at the outset, God sends Moses to that place. He says, you go hang out there. The Egyptians are going to think, what's going on? These guys don't know where to go. They're lost. They're, they're confused. They, they don't know what the next step is. They don't know what to do. The enemy is going to circle. The enemy is going to come to take you out. But I want you to be there because I want to demonstrate my power. I want to demonstrate my anointing upon you. I want to demonstrate the word that I've spoken over your life. And we need to hear from the Lord. When I, uh, you know, over the years, I was chatting a little bit earlier. Over the years, you know, God, I don't know if, you, if you're one of those people who just obey and go along with everything God says. Please pray for me. Um, you know, because I am not one of those. I, I argue with the Lord all the time. Uh, my wife would say my greatest asset is the fact that I'm stubborn. Um, and, uh, and she's not saying that nicely. Um, but, 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 you know, for, for me, I, 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 I struggle, you know, God says, I want you to do this or, you, you know, you really begin to sense that the, you, you got to start another service, but you're thinking, God, I don't, don't have enough teams. I don't, I don't have enough volunteers or, 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 or we need to start another campus or, or this is the new area and, and, and you got to move over there. And you, and, and every time I argue with the Lord, I, I know. I'm sorry, um, but I'm not perfect. Um, I argue with the Lord because I, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm probably yellow at heart. Um, I, I probably am a bit of a coward. I, I, I wish I had faith like, like some of the great men of, of faith in, in the Bible, but, but, but I struggle. It takes me a little while. It takes me a little ban, a bit of banter. It takes me a bit of consultation. I, it, it takes me a while before I arrive at the conclusion that God is right. Um, I know I should start out in that space, but it takes me a little while. So, so invariably, you know, the thing that comes to mind and the next step and the thing that God's calling me to do and, and the place that he's wanting to send me, I, I know that this, I mean, our, our second campus in Strand, um, uh, we, we have a warehouse. And uh, for those of you who've been in South, South Africa, we have townships that are, are, are very violent and, and, and tough places to minister in. And, and essentially that warehouse is right next to a township. So, so we don't run youth there on a Friday night because on a Friday night, literally the wall of our warehouse is, is on an informal settlement. And on a Friday night, the stuff that goes on there and the language that comes filtering through the walls is not something that I would want teenagers to be exposed to. So, so we rather ship them to our central venue and, and include them in, uh, in, our, in our youth on a Friday night in Somerset West because it's a very tough area. And when I went there initially, I thought... There is no way, Lord, that I am planting, that I am moving into a warehouse that is right next door to an informal settlement. We're going to need guards. We're going to need like people looking after cars. We're going to have to like tie down with bolts everything that's in the church. Um, you know, God, I, I, I can't handle the stress. And, and, and every time I was, I was arguing, I was saying, this isn't, this shouldn't happen. This couldn't happen. This, and I just over and over. And you know, it's amazing how God sends your friends. God sends your mates. Oh, I was away on holiday. Uh, and while I was praying, uh, God just dropped me into your heart, into, into my heart. And, uh, and, and he just said, you know, that, that new area of expansion that, that God's put in your heart to do, uh, the door is, is open and, and God's saying the time is now. And I'm like, God bless you. Get out of my house, you idiot. Um, 
you know, God will say, and I just, you know, so I, I was wrestling and, and, and even in the run up to actually getting the building, um, you know, I was standing with the elders and I was trying to convince the elders that we shouldn't be doing this. Um, I was standing, I was saying, I know God's told us to do this, but, but, but what do you guys think? Is there an out clause? Is there a way we can not make this happen? And, and, and along the way, there was just every time I try to come up with a reason why it wasn't a good idea and we justify our own sinfulness and we, we justify our own viewpoint. But, but you know, when God has spoken, you got to go through with it, man. You got to push through because on the other side of what you see is, is the enemy. On the other side of what you see is, 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 is attack. On the other side of what you see is vulnerability. On the other side of all of that is deliverance. Is the power of God. It's his anointing. It's his doing a work in people's lives. And if we're going to grow anything, there's got to be a vision in our hearts. There's got to be a, a purpose. There's got to be some key ideas that we've heard from the Lord. Because that will, that will help us do the stupid, crazy things that the world will see as foolish, but that God will use to turn around communities. You and I must lead with purpose. And so Moses received his word uh, from the Lord. The second thing we need as leaders is we need to, to lead with passion. And, and I love this passage in, in the Bible because um, it's the only passage that I could find that comes close to someone showing the middle finger. Do, do you know what the middle finger is here in the UK? The, the Mr. Bean movie? Um, okay, all right. So, so well, as long as you know what I'm talking about. But, but essentially, my Bible reads that as the Israelites left Egypt, they gave them the fist. Divine fists? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think it was bless you, love you, God's grace be upon you. Uh, and I, I don't think that's how they left. Um, I think it was a defiant fist. There was some passion in it. They, they had been in slavery. They had been, they had been abused. They had been oppressed. They had been damaged and broken by this nation who had taken advantage of them over hundreds of years. And, and in this moment of exodus, in this moment of freedom, in this moment of release, they were saying, defiant. There was passion. You know, we cannot run the church without passion. Without a passion for what we do and what we believe in, there has to be conviction in us. There has to be a passion for the kingdom of God, a passion for the church, a passion for what we're doing, a passion for our mission. In Romans 12 verse 11, it says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. Let's all say it together. Enthusiastically. Let's say it a little louder just so that we can reflect the word enthusiastically passion zeal there's there's tons of 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 passion i mean we we used to have an evening service and um well we still have an evening service but but back in the day um our our oldest member um who at that stage was about 78 years old um i know it's not that old we have a 94 year old now and a 93 year old and a 92 year old um and they're amazing ladies um but 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 maureen was our oldest standing member and uh, she'd been there since the beginning of the church when i arrived and uh, she'd been there since the church started so uh so she was you know she was woodwork she was uh you know, she, she was a pillar. And, uh, and we, we preach in the evening and the evening service, um, it was essentially the worship team, myself, um, and the first row. Um, and so there was only about 15 to 20 of us that would pitch up on some Sunday nights. Um, and I would give it everything. I would spend as much time preparing for the Sunday evening message as I did for the Sunday morning message where there were a lot more people. I, I, I was I was determined and passionate to make sure that when I got up into the pulpit on that Sunday night, even although there would be a lot less people, even although it would be a small gathering, that I was going to give it my all as if there were 5,000 people sitting in front of me. And so I preached some of my best messages, some of my most passionate messages, I preached on Sunday evening to about two rows where the spit used to go right over those two. I think that might be part of the reason why it took a while to for the service to grow but 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 I gave it 
everything. And I remember her coming to me after one service and grabbing a hold of me and, and saying, you know what? I, I, I love, I love how much passion you preach with on a Sunday evening. She said, you know, I just wish more people could hear these messages. They, they, they could use what you're sharing. And she says, how is it that you manage to keep doing that week in and week out when there's so few people? And I looked at it and I said, because I have a firm belief that God gives you the small and you have to manage and be passionate for the small before he'll give you something bigger. That if you don't steward what you have well, if you can't be passionate about the people that are in your pews now, God's never going to send any more to your church. Why should he? If you can't love on, if you can't be passionate about those you're serving right now. I mean, I listen to some pastors and the way they talk about their congregation. Oh, this one's a nutter and this one's that and this one's that and literally bad mouthing and ripping apart and tearing apart the bride of Christ and we have to have a passion for every person that God gives us and we have to do our best and give our everything in every moment because when we're passionately leading God adds I don't want to follow anyone who doesn't have conviction and passion about what they're doing you and I are called to give it all and maybe, maybe we were young, uh, maybe young in the ministry, I, I don't know, but, but, but in those early years, we, we did I mean, crazy things. We would have, uh, through our December and January, which is essentially like your June, July, um, you know, the, the schools break for about six or seven weeks. Uh, and so everyone kind of goes to the coast and everyone goes on holiday. And, uh, um, you know, we would run programs um, <laughs> through, through December, January, while all other churches were closing down, closing down their easing evening services, closing down their programs, scaling down. We were ramping up. We were making sure we had socials. We took people on boat cruises. We took them to play action cricket. We took them up mountains and jumping off scary heights into water below. We, we made them trust God. Um, we... <laughs> We, 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 we literally did whatever we could. We, we came and we would sit down and work out. We called it summer fun and we'd, we'd shoot videos and we would, we would make it happen and we would put our most energy in over December and January and where other churches were struggling to get going in the new year, we always grew over December and January. We always got into the new year with momentum, not without momentum, but because we were willing to give our all. We were willing to be passionate. We were willing to sow. And the Bible says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You've got to have in ministry a little bit of a defined fist. Can you get just a little bit of a defined fist? And I love that. Because in that passion and that zeal, in that, that's where God moves. That's where God works. That's where people get attracted. They go, why, why do you put on coffee like that? Why do you set up your buildings like that? Why do you serve God so passionately? Why do you speak so passionately? What, what, what is it that has changed in your life? What is, it, it attracts people to God, our passion. And so we need to lead with passion. And then in verse 10 and 12, and, and I love this because, um, because this really describes much of my church leadership. Uh, verse 10 and 12 of, of the passage, I'm going to just read it again. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaken. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us. Now, if you have been leading any ministry for any period of time, you will know that everything is your fault. It is absolutely your fault. This is exactly what happens. You see, because God gives us a word, we get a passion, we get a vision, we step out, we go, let's do that, charge, and off we go. And everyone's going, what the hell? We're not going there. We're not parking our cars next to an informal settlement. Are you insane our cars are going to be robbed our stuff we're going to get mugged before we even get back to our car after church we are not doing that the, the, the reality is is that the moment the enemy comes in and he always will the moment the enemy comes in you get blamed that's exactly what happened to moses why did you bring us here you brought it. we told you we didn't want this to happen. We told you we didn't want to be in this position. It would have been better if you'd left us as sinners. It would have been better if you'd left us broken and smashed than being in this space and being exposed to the enemy in which we are now. Moses 
had to respond with faith. And I, and I love the story because as he gets accused, and I think any great leader in any church, you, you're going to get accused. People are going to point fingers. People are going to say things. Why are we doing this? Why are you changing the building? Why is this happening? And as you, as you bring change, as you go into the spaces and places that God calls you to, you're going to get blamed for things. People are going to say, oh, I don't like the way you've done that. Oh, I don't like starting and getting up early in the morning. I don't, and, and they'll have all kinds of things that will come your way. But we've got to have the personality, the character, uh, the fortitude, the, the, the faith in our hearts where we're able to, like Moses said, guess what guys guys I, I know you're struggling with this i know you're scared but but let me let me just tell you uh don't be afraid just stand still and watch the lord rescue you today the egyptians you see today will never be seen again the lord himself will fight for you just stay calm that's our role that's our role as the leader to say you know what it's gonna be okay we're here because God put us here. He's brought us to this place. We, we've got to put our faith and trust in Him. We've got to hold on to Him. We've got to hold on to His Word. We've got to hold on to what He's promised us. We've got to grab a hold of that and live through that. Just, just relax, guys. Just calm down. In God, we can do this. And, and you have to have a strong personality. You have to have character. You, you have to be willing to do what needs to be done to lead the church through their moment of vulnerability and brokenness and leading them to to the next level to the other side across the red sea to see that moment of deliverance come in your life and in the life of the church you've got to be willing to put yourself on the line you've got to be willing to make it personal we are not professionals this is not a job if you're doing it for the pay or because you think it's a job you picked the wrong profession we're in this with our hearts. People often say in the church when they leave and things happen, they go, oh, it's not personal. No, it's, it's very personal. This is my life that I've laid down. It's very personal. And we have to invest ourselves. We have to invest our hearts. We have to be willing to put ourselves on the line. My, my dad passed away recently, just, just a month and a half ago. And uh, my dad served the Lord faithfully. And uh, he died at 70. He went too soon. Uh, but, but he passed, and, and it was a difficult season because he'd served three or four years. He'd served under me. Um, I brought him in to be a dad in the house. And he just loved on people and counseled them and blessed them. And so a lot of people in our church saw him as a dad to them, a spiritual dad that invested in their lives. They saw me as the leader. But they saw my dad as the dad, and he fathered many. And, uh, and so during this period of my dad having passed away, um, I, I needed support. And, uh, and, and I, but I, you know, my dad on his, on his dying bed said to me, listen, you better get to church and preach a great one. You know, that, that was always his mindset, the kingdom of God, you know. So, so, so just suck it up, pal, and, and get out there and make a difference for God. And, uh, and so I arrived at church, and, um, and of course, I, I was hurting, I was broken, I was emotional. Um, and you come there and you think, well, I've lost someone. I've lost my dad. I've lost someone who's close to me. The church needs to look after me now. The church needs to comfort me. But it wasn't even two minutes into being in the church. And I suddenly realized that the church was hurting. And so instead of receiving comfort and people come and comforting me, I went around person to person hugging them saying he was a great man and, and it's going to be okay. God is still on the throne and, and just blessing them and loving them and, 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 and just, ext and I literally, uh, I pastored on, on in, in those two or three services, uh, on that day more than, than I've probably done in a year simply because it, it opened up a door to people's hearts and I realized that the church was hurting. And so I laid my own hurt aside to comfort those who had only known him secondhand. And being a leader is about that. Because you and I get into a space where we think, you know what? I've been serving God for a long time. I deserve 
People should be respecting me. People should be looking after me. People should be. And we get into a space where we start to get a sense of entitlement, a sense of, hey, I've been doing this for a while. But let me tell you something right now, that leadership and leading a church and leading things well and making sure that things go through the space and see God's hand come out on the other side, that the way that happens is by you being willing to lay yourself down, laying your own personality and character down and saying, it's not about me. It's not about what I need right now. I, I got my time. I came to two weeks. For, for, I came to the UK for two weeks. I went on a canal boat, and we had sunshine for two weeks. I mean, if that's not a God moment, then I don't know what is. And uh, and in those two weeks, I just got up every morning. I just got up and just poured my heart out to God, and God just sustained me and put back into my heart. But you know, for those moments, I needed to carry the church. And you and I. We get hurt, we get broken, we get smashed, we get offended. We're, we're, we're not made of steel, uh, contrary to popular belief. We, we get hurt by people leaving. We get, we get hurt by things not working out. We, 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 we struggle, we strain and, and, and our hearts. And we have to be so careful that we do not become callous. We have to be so careful that we do not become professionals. We have to be so careful that we do not shut our hearts off from people. We have to stay in a space where we're able to say, you know what? I'm willing to keep laying myself down. I'm pretty sure Moses, even in those moments, had his own fears, had his own struggles. God, you've brought me to the edge of this river. I don't know how we're going to get across, Lord. The enemy is there. The chariots are big. There are many. They're coming against us, God. I don't know how we're going to get through this. But in those moments, it's not about you. It's about the people that you're with. It's about the people you're leading. It's about laying yourself down and saying, you know what? I know God is going to bless me later. I know he'll strengthen me. He'll pick me up. But I've got to be willing to say, hey, I'm here for you. That's what leading is. And we've got to lead with personality. We've got to lead with character. We've got to lead with our hearts. We've got to lead with our lives. There are many times in church where I have cried. There there have been times where, I, I mean, I remember one occasion, for example, where the church was in financial problems and struggling and, uh, and I hadn't received a salary for a month or two. And, uh, and I knew God wanted me to say something to the congregation, um, but I wouldn't because of pride and the whole arguing with God thing that I mentioned a little earlier. Um, and, uh, and so I just didn't want to do it, and I just didn't want to do it. And eventually there came a moment where I just knew I had to do it. And, um, and I stood up in front of the church, and I made myself absolutely vulnerable. And uh, I made myself so vulnerable that in that moment all I wanted to do was to run to the toilet um, and you know, generally you finish and then, and then you pray or someone, the, the worship team comes up and they start doing something. And normally you'd stand, stay on the front and then after the final prayer, you might sort of head to the back. But, but as soon as they started singing, I sort of walked right to the back cause I just wanted to, I, I wanted to go to the, the back. I wanted to go to the toilet. I wanted to just, I wanted the ground to just cover over me. And then I was in the toilet <laughs> And God and I had a conversation that went something along the lines of, I didn't get you to stand up there and be vulnerable and open your heart and lead this, these people so that you could now hide in the toilet. Go stand at the front door and greet everyone. And that morning I stood at the front door and I shook hands and a queue formed. And one by one, each person sobbed over me, hugged me, gave me money pledged their tithe for the next 20 years and said, we are committed to the vision of this church. It took about an hour and a bit for everyone to clear out that way. The queue was long and I was standing at the door. I literally, my shirt was stained with tears. It was, but it was a turnaround moment for our church. A moment where I had put my pride aside, exposed my heart, let myself be viewed Open myself up to that congregation. And forever from that moment, I have always felt like the church knows I am invested 100%. And it takes moments like these where you're backed against the wall and things are, are not going as you planned. It's not the Hail Mary moments where everything's fantastic and wonderful. It's those moments where you just think, how are we going to get through this? And it's in those moments that God brings 
deliverance if we're willing to invest our hearts and bring our personalities and bring our character and lay them down. Number four, the fourth thing we see is that you have to lead with perseverance. <laughs> and uh, what I love about this story is I, I don't know what conversations would have been happening at night, but the Bible tells us that, that the, the Egyptians kind of, came for them uh there was the pillar of cloud and then the pillar of fire and the pillar of fire moved around and basically put a wedge between between the egyptians and the israelites and 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 i don't know what what would have been going through your mind but if but if i had an entire army guys who'd who'd been my master um just weeks before um with their chariots and and their buff bodies um uh, sort of bearing down on me there's this moment where all night it says that they were separated all night nothing could happen uh, you know, the sea was being blown back, uh, the, the, the way the deliverance was being opened, but, but, but there was this moment, and, and there was this moment where they had to endure the night. And some of us in ministry go through seasons where we have to see through the night, where we're in that space where it's difficult and tough, and the things we're facing aren't easy to face. And we've got to have a measure of perseverance to be good leaders. There's, there's got to be something in, in us that says, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to push through. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, when I was younger, we used to have these jawbreakers called fireballs. I don't know if you had them in the UK. They were really hot. Any, yeah? Okay, so so we used to at, when we were at school, we used to put them in our mouths, and then you could see how long you could keep your mouth shut, um, you know, while it burnt the inside of your mouth. And of course, you could make lunch money that way. So uh, you know, you take bets, everyone kind of put money down on the table, uh, and then depending if you could kind of keep the fireball in your mouth, and and it's a little bit like that. You know that on the other side of the heat, there's this amazing, tasty, wonderful chewing gum in the middle. And if I could just hold out, if I could just stay in the kitchen, if I could just, if I could just push through this heat, on the other side of this is blessing. On the other side of this is God's grace. On the other side of this is deliverance. And some of you right now are going through heartache, are going through difficulties, and it's hot in your mouth, and you're wanting to give up, you're wanting to throw that thing out, you want nothing to do with it, and God's saying, come on, hold on. On the other side of this is a blessing. On the other side of this is deliverance. We've got to have perseverance in our hearts. We waited for six years to get aircon. We waited. We waited for lots of things. When, uh, when the church was still in its infancy stage, I mean, I'd come out of, Patty mentioned it, I used to be a youth pastor, and so I'd run a, a fairly decent-sized youth group, and uh, and, and so at one stage, it was myself and another guy, and he'd also run a youth group. So essentially, we had two youth pastors running the church, um, which you'd think would be great. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we had no teenagers, uh, two youth pastors running the church, and we had no teenagers. And, um, and, and I, you know, one day, I remember we were having a cup of coffee, and I said, you know, well, maybe we should start the Friday night program. Uh, and run youth on a Friday night because, you know, uh, there's no one in the church who can do it right now. And we, we want to reach teenagers and stuff like that. And, and, and I felt God say to me, and in fact, I had a dream the one night. And God gave me a picture of the youth ministry that we would have one day. But then his word to me was, not right now. Focus on the church. Give your time and effort and, and energy into building a church where later on teenagers will be welcome. And, and so we began to do that. And uh, the two of us as youth pastors, we focused our time and energy into, into that. And I remember I had a dream of, of a youth camp of about 120, 130 teenagers on that youth camp. And there was a worship team and then there was guys standing on the outside. And there were people in our church uh, standing on the outside. And the picture of, of these teenagers really just worshiping, passionately worshiping God. Uh, and the worship team were guys from our church. Uh, and literally two and a half, three years ago, we had that youth camp. And, uh, and we had those 120, 130 teenagers. And it was uh, the most amazing weekend. And we saw tons of salvations. And it was phenomenal. And, and sometimes you've got to wait. It took about seven years to get from when I had the dream to, to getting to that space for when it came to pass. And it's not always easy as leaders because we've got to keep the dream alive. We've got to keep persevering and pushing through. But I want to just say to you, it is worth it. It's worth it. 
Keep pushing through. Keep trusting God. Keep persevering. Don't give up. And then the last point, we need to lead with power. And I don't have too much, too much time, uh, but you know, the, the, the passage goes on to describe how Moses put his hand over the water. I mean, and if God, if God wanted to be humorous, he could have just, you know, when he did that the first time, just kind of nothing happened. It would have been awesome. Because um, there are times, come on, there are times where God goes, right, now we need the power. There are things that only God can do in your church. There are miracles that you need that you cannot fabricate. You cannot make happen. It is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is God's power at work. And there are times when, when you've got to kind of put your hand up and put your staff out and, 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 and trust that the, that the waters will divide. And, uh, and they did. And, you know, the power of God, when it begins to move in the church, when it begins to move through the church and begins to, I mean, I just love the fact that people get saved and baptized and lives and marriages are put back together. And, and I look at some of the guys who have come out of our night shelter, who are sitting at the back and they've got jobs now and, uh, and, and they're worshiping God. And, and, and some of them are, are in relationships now and they're like standing there smiling, beaming. And, and just months before they were on the streets, uh, broken, smashed and, 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 you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that only God can do those things. That God heals. God brings finances. Uh, there, there are tons of things we've got to trust God for. We need the power of God at working in our lives. Uh, uh, every Sunday I used to stand and uh, in the early years there was a guy who used to take notes. Um, he used to take notes of my sermon, but he would literally make crit, crit notes. Um, he would write down everything he didn't like about every message I ever preached every single Sunday. And every single Sunday, I would stand at the door, literally went on for about two to three years. Um, and, uh, and, and I would stand at the door. I always shake people's hands at the door. And, um, and he would come every single Sunday and he would grab my hand and he would take me through what he didn't like about my message every single week. And, uh, and he wasn't, a, he wasn't doing it nicely and he wasn't right either. Um, he just had a very critical negative spirit. And, um, and as a leader, I wasn't strong enough to actually deal with it. So I would kind of go there. It was like literally like going to receive my beating every week. It didn't matter how great the message was or if people got saved or anything like that. I would literally stand at the door. And then, you know, something inside of me when I saw him walking up would go, oh, dear God. Um, you know, and, and then he would deliver his, and, and somehow he thought he was helping me. And, and there came a day where I just, I, I, I felt the spirit of God just come upon me. And I just looked him in the eye and I just said, you are backslidden. And what you're doing is breaking the church of God, not building it up. It's time for you to get back on your knees, find God again, and become a positive influence and to become an encourager and someone that will actually make a difference in this life. What you're doing is just tearing apart, hacking away at what God's doing and it needs to stop and it stops right now. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> you know, some people find the, those things easy, but, but you need God's power. You need anointing. You need those moments. And, and he never did it again. That was the end of that. And, um, and in fact, actually, God began to move in his life. And he began to serve God in a better way and became a, a, a more positive asset to the life of the church. And, you know, the reality is, is that we need those moments of anointing, those words. We need the power of God to move because we can't do this in our own strength. God might have put you in a space where you feel backed up. You feel like the enemy is attacking you. You feel like there's no way out. But you're there because God's about to do something fantastic in your life and in the life of your church. And if you would just put your faith and trust in him afresh and say, God, I'm going to lead this church. I'm going to lead this ministry in the way that you've called me to. God will bring about the deliverance. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. All he's asking from you is to do what he's called you to do, to be who he's called you to be. And he will add, he is building the church. Sometimes we try and fabricate and make stuff happen. And, uh, but if we just walk in obedience to what God has called us to do, God will constantly start bringing things into your path that will scare you, that will seem bigger than you, and you will feel totally inadequate most of the time. But what's awesome is that it's not about us. And it's not about us being the professionals. And it's not about us having it all together. It's about us knowing someone who does and connecting to him and allowing him to work through our lives. Be encouraged, guys. We are about a grand work. 
we are about something fantastic and awesome. And what God is doing across the planet is amazing. And I'm believing not only for myself, but for all of you guys and for every church that's represented here, that there will be massive growth, not because we need numbers, but because we want to reach people. Don't you want to reach people? That's what we're called to. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. So let's do what needs to be done. Let's, let's lead with passion. Let's lead with perseverance. Let's, let's lead with our hearts, our personality. Let's make sure we're bringing all of that to the table. Let's trust God for his power to move in our lives, and he will. Can I just pray for you? And then I'll hand over the mic to, to Paddy. Lord, this morning we, we, we thank you for, for just your hand upon us all. That, Lord, you are with us. <laughs> you know our journeys. You know where we're at. You know how things are at. You know <laughs> every area of our ministries, Lord, every part of our churches, every part of our departments, the things that we lead and are involved in. God, you, you've got a plan and you want to work. And, and you sometimes allow things to happen, God, so that we can learn to trust you. And Lord, in, in that process, when we, when we lead well, God, your word tells us that the people, they, they put their trust in you, God, and they also put their trust in Moses. And when we lead properly, Lord, what happens is people put their faith and trust in you, God, and they also trust us as leaders. They know that we're credible. They know that we're doing it for the right reasons. They know that we're laying our lives down, Lord. And we don't want to be the hired hand. We want to be the shepherd. We, we don't want to be people who are just breezing in and breezing out, just, just doing it for a laugh. No, we want to be people who are living our lives, sowing our lives for the kingdom of God, making a difference in our world. So, Lord, I pray. I pray for every leader here. I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen us. I pray, Lord, that you'd galvanize our hearts, that you would cause faith to stir afresh in us. And Lord, that we would begin to trust you and believe you for more in our own lives and in the lives of, of, the, of, of those who we lead and those who we're believing you for. Lord, we look to you and we pray, God, that you would deliver us. Open the Red Sea. Make a way, Lord, we pray. Make a way, God, where there seems to be no way, where it seems to be the end of the road. Make a way, Lord. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.